Welcome to the Subject Composition and Light Photography Podcast. Show notes, links and contact details can be found at robnunphoto.com. That's www.robnunphoto.com. SCL is a proud member of the Tech Podcast Network and loads of other great tech podcasts can be found over at www.techpodcast.com. Now on with the show. Hi everybody and welcome to SCL episode 225 for the 4th of October 2013. Thanks everybody for hanging on and being patient. Um, it's about a month since the last one. Um, yeah, and got quite a full podcast today, I think. Quite a full one. A few things to talk about, what I've been up to, and um, some car boot bargains as ever. And a few listener questions as well, which is... Um, Almost a newer thing. Now, you may well be able to hear some music. Let me see if I can mute that. There we go. That's better, isn't it? <laughs> you think I would be an expert at this by now, but I tell you, as you can probably tell by the audio quality of most of the podcasts and the videos I do, I'm not really. I tend to wing it most of the time. Well, I was just thinking, actually, how much I enjoy doing the podcast and how much I really appreciate everybody downloading and listening to it. 225 episodes that's quite a long time isn't it that really is um quite a commitment in terms of uh time and not and i'm not really talking about me i'm talking about you guys and girls um downloading and listening to me so I, at the top of the show just thanks again for for being around downloading the podcast doing the reviews on itunes and on different other podcatchers giving us the, the star reviews because they it really does mean a lot and i know this is just a hobby and it's not you know we're not up there with the high class podcasts of this world but i like to think uh scl and me and everybody who contributes through making comments on the blog or on itunes or on flick uploading the photos we're all kind of contributing to our own little uh photo community and uh, adding a little bit of knowledge to uh, the photo world as a whole so so yeah pat on the back for everybody um and may long it continue fingers crossed touch wood so here we go it's friday um it's 20 to 2 quite unusual i, I normally don't have days off during the week very often they tend to be at the weekend but today because of uh, other people have got time over the weekend. I'm here, sitting at home. I've just finished my chores. I've vacuumed the house. I've cleaned the bathroom. I'm meant to dust, but I'm not going to bother doing that. I'll do some, do some other stuff. This morning, I've already been out and about. Um, what did I do? Well, I went and got some batteries for a camera. I, I don't think I've picked talked about this one on, the, on the, the podcast yet, but I picked up a Nikon F65 film camera for... I think it was £3 from the Titchfield car boot a good few weeks ago. might even be a couple of months ago. And the F65 is of that ilk of the last generation. Well, the latest generation of Nikon film SLRs. Because Nikon still do make a film SLR. I don't know what the current model is. But it's it's basically, it looks like a digital SLR, but just takes film. Um, it's got an autofocus lens, 28-100, It's got all the uh, creative functions from manual, aperture priority, shutter priority, program mode, fully automatic mode, all the scene position mode, sports, night, silhouette, portrait, all that sort of stuff. Uh, it's got um, 
exposure bracketing um, looks like you can change the foc focusing point as well it may well have a depth of field preview but I'm not sure but anyway it takes CR2 batteries um, so I went into town and popped into I had to go and get a new iron because our one blew up uh, from uh, where did I go Robert Dias I think for the iron and then uh, nowhere really had the batteries for it so I went to London Camera Exchange in Fareham um, which is is one of the last camera shops you know dedicated camera shops you get in the UK <coughs> excuse me and they're a nationwide chain and a few of the chaps there used to work for Jessops and um, so I kind of I know a few of them and um, also there's a, there's another reason I went there as well but anyway I went in there and they they had the batteries and they're, qu they're quite expensive it was ten pounds for two but you know it's worth it to fire it up and put some f film through this uh, Nikon F65 give it a blast develop the black and white film and do a nice review on YouTube on the site as well but also the ulterior motive for going into the London Camera Exchange is they've currently got in that particular store a Canon 600D second hand body only for £290 I think or £280 very nice so I kind of said I asked to have a look at it it's really clean it's got the box with it and the battery and the charger and the instructions so I've kind of got my BDI on it um, I'm trying to think about how to bring out with Suzanne actually because my Christmas present this year hopefully again touching wood it's going to be a new laptop because my old Acer laptop which was Oliver's old Acer laptop from like two years ago he got his new laptop so this thing's well old um, again it's on its last legs it keeps overheating and turning itself off even though I've um, uh, vacuumed it out you know that's going to be my main Christmas present so how can I justify another 280 quid on a camera but the 350D really is starting to, to, to creak a little bit um, and the other side of it actually I've just went on Amazon and had a look and you can buy a brand new 600D body for about £370 so for about another tonne you get you get a brand new camera body so I don't know what, what would you do would you buy the new camera body or would you save £100 and go for the old camera body I don't know but anyway I haven't got the money I think what I might have to do is just bite the bullet and sell some of my camera gear now that's not a sad thing because I've got more than I can use you know I've got like K1000s, I've got well, this Nikon once I've reviewed it, I've got um, loads of vessels, I, I can't even remember what I've got, I've got so many little film 35s and um, even the odd 120 that I've picked up from the car boot side. maybe if I just sold them and got some money together, because they're just going to sit on the shelf c gathering dust or in a drawer getting getting, uh, getting damp, pass them on to people who can use them, then maybe, uh, maybe just spend the money that way, but anyway, there we go, so that's what I've been up to today. Um, and I also got some rechargeable batteries from Tesco for my flashes. You may well have seen the photo on the blog. The death of the allotment, yes. Woe is us. We finally decided to give up the allotment. Um, with both me and Suzanne working full time now, it just hasn't been practical to keep it going. We got a, <laughs> got a rather embarrassing letter from the council who run it with a photograph of our allotment. And it looked like a jungle saying, you know, come and sort it out or... You know, you've got to have to give it up. So I went out there, stripped all the tools out and um, sold the shed on the spot to somebody next door and said, yeah, you know, that that's it. So got plenty of photos from it. Uh, it was, I had a bit of a love-hate relationship with the allotment, actually. I kind of hated the idea of going up there and doing work. <laughs> but once I got up there with Suzanne and Oliver in the early days, you know, it really was, it was quite enjoyable being out in the, in the, in the sunshine and sort of digging in the earth and growing stuff 
Um, and I even, you know, mid taking my tools out uh, the other week, I was kind of halfway through thinking, yeah, oh God, you know, if I just spent a couple of hours up here, I could, um, I could cut it all down and get it looking respectable. But then again, I think no, look, we just haven't got the time. I normally get about what one week out off, one one day off a week. Suzanne's pretty much the same. And although the allotment was enjoyable up to a point, it was also a lot of work and a little bit of expense as well. And I think I would rather be spending my time with Suzanne and Oliver or photography than digging in, digging in the dirt. So that's come to an end. But who knows? When I'm retired, I'll probably have another crack of it that way. Um, I've been doing a few reviews on YouTube, which will eventually end up on the RobNunphoto.com website. Um, I tend to I upload them to YouTube first. Um, I was very lucky enough to be sent a carbon fibre tripod by Kenro. It was a Benro one. Very, very nice indeed. Gosh, this thing. I think um, it was just the sticks. And I think it was about £200 just for the sticks. And I was like, whoa. But it was beautiful. So, I mean... As far as I'm concerned, tripods are, are tripods, aren't they? You know that what you really want them to be is steady. Um, that's the most important thing. Uh, but I'm not a big tripod user, apart from in in the home. You know, I'll be I always use tripods when I'm doing my videos or when I'm doing my portrait work. I'm always using a tripod, but I don't always take one with me outside unless uh, it's it's late at night or I'm doing sunsets and things like that, where the shutter speeds are going to be too long. But I tell you what, if you if you're interested in thinking about getting a, a tripod or carbon fiber on it and you're going to spend some money have a look at the Benro ones uh, Kenro sell them just do a google search for Benro tripod very very nice indeed maybe more of interest well more of interest to me anyway is I also completed on YouTube and uploaded it a couple of days ago my Zorky 4k Russian rangefinder review um, this is the camera I picked up from the car boot sale again a few weeks ago for the majestical sum of 20 pounds um, and I've really enjoyed working with this uh, this camera. It's a <coughs> excuse me. It's a Soviet era. It says made in the USSR on the back of it. Coupled rangefinder. So what that means is, um, it's a metal-bodied camera. Um, it, uh, but you don't not like an SLR where you look through the viewfinder and see through the lens. The viewfinder is separate. But what you see in the viewfinder is in the middle there's like this double image and as you focus the lens this double image moves over itself so it's a different type of focusing took me a little bit of getting used to but once I was it's very very simple to use and the Zorky 4k is a copy well a development if you like of the Leica 3 uh, Leica 3c uh, developed in Germany before the World War 2 because what happened was after World War 2 the Russians uh, requisitioned the Leica factories, equipment, and engineers, and pursued proceeded to uh, make their own cameras, and they kind of developed over the years. And you know, the Zorkies and the Feds have got a bit of a cult following. You could say it's a bit like a lomography camera, but it's made a lot, lot better. Saying that, if you are looking at one, get one where the seller will assure you that it does work, because you know it's an old camera in the first place, and secondly, it's very easy to break them if you don't use them right. The golden rule: remember this, even if you never get one. Because someone might pass one for you to have a go at. Never, ever, 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 ever change the shutter speed without first cocking the shutter. And then you can change the shutter speed and then you can fire it off. Um, but a great camera. The, the viewfinder, when you're closer to subjects, isn't particularly accurate. Bit of a hit and miss. So you can find your cropping stuff. 
but using it is just um yeah I, I, these old metal manual cameras i've got something for them you know if they bring i know there's a few kickstarters around isn't there where people are trying to develop a digital sensor that you can put in a 35 millimeter camera if they do I, i'm probably gonna I'll, I'll sell all my digital stuff because i love using these these manual clockwork cameras there's just something so analog. Well, I guess they are analog, aren't they? About them, about the fact that there's no batteries in it. <laughs> You've got to use a light meter to, if you want a, a, a acceptably exposed image. Everything is done with springs and levers and switches. Um, so something like you know the Zorki 4K, the Trip 35, the SRT 101, the K1000. You know these these metal-bodied, fully manual, mechanical cameras. I just I just really like them. I really like. I like the feel of them. I like the touch. I like the sounds they make. I like what they smell, and I like doing them. However, saying that, I did put three films through the Zorki 4K: a couple of black and whites, <coughs> and uh, and a film, and a color film, um, and it was great shooting with it. But when I did get my 350D out again and start shooting with that, it was a really nice relief. <laughs> So I don't know. That's why I th maybe I tell you. Has, any, has anybody got one of those? Is it the Olympus OMDs? The one that the Olympus that looks like an OM1 or an OM2, but it's a digital camera. They look nice, don't they? I bet they. I bet they take beautiful photos. Maybe I don't know. No, I'm I'm digressing, aren't I? I've got the Canon 350D. I'm going to go for a Canon 600D with a flip-out screen um, because I've got the lenses to go with it and I've got my stuff. So there we go. But anyway, to get take it back to the Zorki 4K, great little cameras. If you can get a hold of one cheap that works, shoot with it. Um, it's a little piece of history and it's like you're shooting with a little Leica. Um, oh, if you're in the UK, and this probably applies for the whole world as well, uh, Rankin's Fashion Lifestyle... Um, lots of other stuff kind of uh, magazine hunger is out now the autumn winter issue um it's 6.95 in the uk and it's 14.99 in america which might seem like a lot of money but it's full of packed full of great photography and uh, interesting articles if you're into your fashion or your editorial photography um it was it's not as good as the previous issues though i will say it didn't hit me as as quite quite hard as the previous ones i think it's a little bit smaller and they they've dis changed the design a bit as well but very good um look out for that one if you want to spend a few quid go for it um what else have we got here as well um oh yes you'll also find on youtube and i'll put the links in the show notes over at robinandphoto.com for sel episode 225 I've also done a video on um, ma manual macro extension tubes for my Canon camera. You'll know I've talked about extension tubes a lot in the past, and the idea with the extension tube is that you take your your, your camera with your lens, and that they're just these tubes that go between the camera body and the lens that, that they all sort of snaps together. And the idea is it enables you, <coughs> excuse me, to be able to. It doesn't really enable you to focus. Well, I suppose it does enable you to focus closer, but it enables you to do macro photography on the cheap. The disadvantage with them, if you're using them with a camera like uh, my Canon, is that you you lose all the electronics because there's no wires or, or bits transferring things like the aperture control or the autofocus control through to the camera. So you're using a fixed aperture and and manually focusing. So it's a little bit tricky, but you know you can do it and. 
you can spend more money and get ones that do allow you extension tubes that do allow you to, to transfer the electronics so that's ultimately that's something i think you know i would definitely want because the beauty with the extension tubes is no glass in them so you're not reducing the quality of the image um, and they're very small you know you they can fit in your, your camera backpack or your camera or your pocket very simply and you're immediately adding a fantastic <coughs> macro capability to your photographic kit so you see a nice flower you see a nice insect screw it onto your existing lens bingo you know i mean i picked mine up for a couple of quid from the car boot sale in the london camera exchange today they had brand new ones for 20 pounds i'd imagine if you go on youtube you can probably buy electronic ones that still allow you to autofocus and change the aperture of your lenses for not much more than that so look out for them i was very impressed because one thing i i don't do is i if I've got my normal photo kit on, which is my photo low pro photo runner bag with my 350D with the 1855 on it, and then the uh, 55 to 250 telephoto, and then batteries and and cloth and stuff like that, I haven't got enough room for a another lens like a, a dedicated macro lens or an M42 lens with a, with uh, an M42 to EF adapter on it. But these extension rings, uh, extension tubes, are small enough just to slip in the pocket, so I can always have them with me. To kind of come from the other side, actually, away from macro to the big, I was so lucky at the weekend at the car boot sale. So lucky. Um, wandering around, um, looking at stuff, feeling a little bit tired. Um, we'd had a late night the night before um, and came to the stall and I saw a camera bag. Always a good sign when you see a camera bag, but it was empty. So I was like, Ugh. looked inside, there was a few. The normal things you normally see in empty camera bags. At a car boot sale, there's normally some shutter releases, you know, the, the mechanical ones, and some filters. Um, so I thought, oh, oh well, there's probably something nice in here that's gone. But then I saw some books. Always on the lookout for photo books. Not much a big, of, not much of a fan of the how-tos. Um, some of them are good, but you know, just proper photo books. But I looked through them, and a few of them were how-tos. So I was like, Ugh. but then there was di uh, Scott Kelby's digital f uh, photo books. Now, if you if you're a beginner photographer. And you want to get better. Some of the best books you can buy, and best value for money books, are Scott Kelby's digital photography books. I, I've got one, two, and three. I don't know if there's a fourth one out now, but they're very small. They're like A5 sort of size, and they're packed with fantastic information about how to take particular types of photographs and particular types of looks. In all the books, there's like these menu, these recipes of say, you know, if you want to take a picture where a bride or a woman or a man to that matter you know is nice and blurred background and they you know it's, but they're nice and sharp you're going to need this now i know not everybody likes scott kelby and the thing you have to remember from his books is what <laughs> what he does like to say is you know you will need to buy some stuff to take this sort of photographs but you don't have to you know you don't have to buy the kit that he recommends because i'm not saying that he does take backhanders or even sponsorship money from the people he mentions but you know, you don't need to buy a dedicated proper Canon flash to do off camera or pocket widgets to do off camera flash. You know, you can there are cheaper versions. But putting that to one side, the information in these books is very, very good. They're very, very small. They're excellent as reference books and as refreshers just to dig out and have a look through. And if you don't fancy buying them, get down to your local library. I know the Hampshire County Council system has got uh, definitely all three in the system somewhere so you just have to go down there order them for 50p and they'll get delivered to wherever you are uh, your local library and you can look at them highly recommended so um 
from this pile of books I've got digital photography book two and three so I've got I've got three of them now and there's also an interesting reference book on lighting which I flicked through that didn't seem didn't have fantastic photos in here I didn't open it and go oh they're brilliant photos but what it was it was like um, if you want this look uh, this this is the look you get from one flash. You know, this is the look you get from a flash and reflector. So it was just lots and lots of pictures of people's faces, like the same model, a lady model and a man model, with different lighting setups. So I thought that would be really good to go through, um, just to practice. Because um, one of the things I've definitely found from doing more kind of almost studio-based portrait photography in our house is it seems like it's really simple to do off-camera flash and... Uh, and um, strobist type photography but it isn't <laughs> you know to get, it's easy to do it badly but it's very difficult to make do it very very well um, but this kind of relates into the other thing that was on this this stall at Prismary Kabu which was a complete lighting backdrop setup I I full I I almost swore then I uh, bleep you not I looked over and I saw a light stand. I thought, oh, but you know, I've got two light stands. Don't really need any more. And I was running a bit short on cash. But then I saw what looked like big light stands, and straight away I thought, wait a minute, they're part of a backdrop. And this is the type of backdrop. I mean, where you have these two like they're oversized light stands that go up, and then you have a telescopic one that goes over the the middle. And in effect, you create like a massive goalpost, like a football goalpost or a soccer goalpost, um, which you then hang off. A backdrop, so that might be a muslin backdrop, a paper backdrop, whatever. And I saw them, I thought, oh wow, and there was some paper there as well. I thought, oh, this is the sort of thing I've been looking at on eBay and thinking about buying. And I was like, oh, so you know, I said to the chap there, I said, uh, is this a photo photo backdrop, is it? And he said, he says, yeah, 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 do you want me to set one up? And I was thinking, oh, not really, because I don't want anybody else to see what it is. Because I said, um, there's some paper here. He says, yeah, he says there's some paper that's already been cut, but then there's a whole roll of white backdrop paper, seamless backdrop paper as well. And I thought, ooh, gosh, this is very interesting indeed. This is just what I fancy. Um, and I said to him, well, um, how much do you want for it? And he said, £15. Now, I only had a fiver. Luckily, I mean, me and Suzanne, a lot of the time, will split up at the car boots and do different bits, but she was with me and I said, Suzanne! <laughs> Give me a tenner. So for fifteen pounds, and I, and I, you know, I didn't know what condition it was in. Got it home. It looked like it had been used. You know, it wasn't wasn't brand new, but it was heavy duty. You know, it was big thing. Got it home. Had a look at it. A couple of the little knobs needed a little bit of work with a little bit of um, epoxy resin, a little bit of super glue. But this thing, the the telescopic centre, okay, is twelve feet wide. I mean, it's huge, and the, these light stand thingies. These heavy duty light stands are 12 feet. You can extend them to 12 feet high as well. This thing is absolutely massive. The pieces of paper are probably... I, there is a standard size. Is it like 1.3 metres or something like that? And there's loads of that as well. I mean, it is, it is huge. Um, and what it enables you to do is have that studio look. You know, normally you'd be in a big studio and you would put the stand up, the goalpost, if you like. You hand the paper off and the paper then comes round in a curve. So that when the person's standing on the paper, you can do full length shots, yet they have this whole seamless white or black or grey, whatever colour you want, background if you're using paper. And and you get that look. Now, our house is nowhere near big enough to do that. But actually, I was looking, I was sitting downstairs having my lunch just before I was recording the podcast in the uh, in our back room, our dining room, where we have the big telly and the, and the dining table. And I was thinking, wait a minute, if I move the tire dining table to one side or on its side, I reckon I could put the backdrop up. And then what I would do is open the French doors 
that go out into the garden. And if I then stood out with my camera out in the garden, shooting into the into the room, I could probably get decent full-length shots. Now, you probably think, well, we'll just use a wide-angle lens. What well, I could, but the problem obviously is when you use wide-angle lenses with portraits, everything gets a bit distorted, doesn't it? You know, for portrait for nice-looking portraiture photography or full-length photography or even three-quarter or headshots really you've got to get a little bit further away and use a longer lens because that is a lot more flattering but anyway I'm really looking forward to um, playing around with this and um, I discovered there's a couple of the little screw bits are a little bit loose because the metal inserts are sliding around but it's all easily fixable with a little bit of glue and uh, yeah so I'm well chuffed so the moral of the story is, you know, go to enough car boot sales, go to enough garage sales, go to enough thrift stores, and eventually, I mean, I can't think of anything, really, beyond a, a new camera or something like that, that I really need for my photography that I haven't managed to pick up secondhand from a car boot sale or a thrift shop. I mean, I have been so lucky. Thank the Lord, um, and thanks Suzanne for dragging me to the car boot sales all the time to, to pick this stuff up, you know. Really, really good. What else have I been up to? Oh, a, a really good exercise that I put myself through was um, if you don't listen to the Candid Frame podcast by Ivan Eric's Pirello already, do so. Pause the podcast now, go to iTunes or Podcatcher or do a search on, on Google for um, the Candid Frame and start subscribing to the podcast. There's these fantastic interviews with professional photographers, artists, all sorts to do with the visual arts, um, very inspirational, you'll learn a lot as well. And one of the things that he started to doing is he's, he's doing a big push to expand the candid frame. And he's decided to allow to uh, allow um, people to submit um, listener profiles. So the idea is that you get together your 10 best images, email them to, well, email the link to him, um, and he sends you a... Um, an interview form where he's asked ask you all these questions and then he's going to put it on his on his website you know cool you know, cool you know get a little bit of exposure perhaps maybe a few more, a few more people see my photos but then i sat back and thought oh gosh you know so i've got to pick 10 photos from all my photos from from the last few years my best ones um and i tell you what it was a real cathartic experience it was really good i mean i'm quite lucky in the fact that my online portfolio, if you like, is Flickr. You know, everything that I think is half decent that I've taken, I upload to Flickr to share it with everybody. Um, and then anything that I think is really good <laughs> on Flickr, I have a separate Flickr set called Rob Nunn's Photo Slideshow. So they're the better ones, you know, better again. And then also, uh, recently, last year, I, I chose a few photos from, from those ones for a portfolio. I did two portfolios, I think one pre-2012 and one after 2000, uh, 2012 and after. And so I've been through this kind of section before. So I haven't got like 10,000 images to look through. You know, there's, there's a finite number that I've had to go through. But to choose 10 was really, really difficult. Um, but I did manage to do it. And I would recommend anybody who, if you want to kind of try and figure out what your style is or where you want to be taking your photography, try and choose 10 best photos of all your photos you've ever taken. Um, you you probably won't see the sets. In fact, I tell you what I'll do is I'll put a link to the set in the show notes because I did the set of these ten photos on uh, on Flickr. Um, and what I will be doing is creating a PDF portfolio to put it on the site. But I probably won't get around to doing that for a few weeks. So you know you can have a look at them, and uh, um, they're just the photos I think 
are my best ones from over the last sort of um, five years. And uh, yeah, and it was a great experience to go through. So thanks, Ibernex, for for offering that. I mean, I don't know whether my photos will get accepted, and he'll put me up on his listener profile. But the exercise of simply doing doing it um, was a massive learning experience. Anyway, few. So there we go. So that's what I've been up to over the last. Uh, few weeks um i did do a nice flash photo of john at work's cbr 600 as well because he's going to be selling it um and he wanted some nice photos for uh ebay so i'll uh i might post that one in the show notes as well what i'm probably gonna do is i'll talk about that a lot more maybe next time because i'm going to try and persuade him to allow me to do a portrait of him in his leathers standing next to the bike and it's all going to be with off-camera flash you know so the idea is to dim everything down with my um with my aperture, so that uh, all the, so it becomes <laughs> like a dull day, and then I'll use flash to light everything up to make it nice and dramatic. So here we go. So questions. Now I do get sent quite a few questions anyway, um, and I try to answer them directly. But one thing I have noticed is I'm terrible on YouTube for answering any comments that appear on the videos. I just ignore them because there's so many, and I thought. That's really nasty, that isn't it? I should, if people take the time to look, watch my video and ask me a question, why on earth don't I answer it? So I've decided I'm going to start doing that. And then if there's any interesting questions as well that I thought might be pertinent, I'll include them in the podcast. So the first one is uh, one from Sushanta Rocker. And he or she asks, um, does the 55 to 250mm Canon IS lens work on the Canon 1100D2? And the answer to that is yes. Um, never be scared to ask this sort of question because a lot of the time maybe I assume that everybody knows this but with Canons um, the, the the lens mount on uh, consumer cameras so your everyday sort of SLRs DSLRs is is the EF lens mount um, and that goes straight from you know the, the, the cheapest ones like the 1100D to the I don't know the 5D Mark 10 or whatever they're on now it's all it's all an EF mount um, however, the the crop sensor body, so the cheaper bodies, up to things like the 7D, will also take, they, so they take EF lenses, but they'll take EFS lenses. And it probably doesn't, but think of EFS as the S as in small. Because the sensor on the uh, the consumer cameras like the 1100D, the, the 650D, the 700D, 7D, it's smaller. It's I think it's 1.6 times smaller than a piece of 35mm film. So Canon, along with lots of other manufacturers, have designed lenses that are smaller and lighter to suit that particular sensor. Um, and so for your particular camera, any lens that says EFS will fit, and any lens that says EF will fit. If, however, you move over to a full-frame camera, like a 5D Mark II, 5D Mark III, 1D Mark bloody blah, some of them are full-frame as well, the EFS lenses don't fit um, because they're designed to work with that small sensor, so they would only use the middle bit. Now, whether they physically fit or not, actually, I don't know. They might physically fit, but you don't want to use them because what can happen is, especially with the... Uh, wide-angle lenses is because the lens sticks into the body when the mirror comes down it hits it and you can damage not only your body but the uh, but the lens as well so EFS lenses for all your crop sensor bodies but EF lenses you can fit to any of the Canon EOS systems so there we go Orchid9938 asks um, does the low pro flip side 400 AW camera bag 
fit two DSLR bodies? Oh, definitely. The 400AW bag, which I've had for, I don't know, three or four years now, is absolutely massive. If anything, it's too big. <laughs> I remember looking at it for Christmas a few years ago, and I was kind of thinking, hmm, I want a big camera bag for Christmas, a backpack. I don't want one on wheels, but I want a backpack, but I want a really big one so I can fit all the kit in that I might possibly need to take out on a photo walk. And the 400 you could fit in two bodies, two massive telephoto lenses, an extra f three or four wide-angle lenses. You could probably fit a laptop in the front of it, you know, a, an Ultrabook, all your, ca all your flashes, everything. You can put so much kit in there you can't physically pick the bag up. It's a very good bag. If you can, though, I would say... Always go to your local camera shop, see if they sell bags, take some of your kit down there and have a look. Because when it gets too big, like really I think like the 400AW is, I don't tend to use it at all. It's really just the storage box in my wardrobe to keep my stuff from not getting dusty. So so there we go. So it's a great bag, will fit two bodies, but it is very, very big. Um, Adam Inkerbroglus asks, um, how would we scan... 35mm film if you wanted to include the, the sprockets along the side of the film ah now this is interesting this because this is something I want to do as well so the so you know when you shoot 35 through a 120 camera or through um, something like the uh, sprocket rocket from Lomography the edges of the of the film get exposed you know the ones with all the cutouts with the sprockets in and that develops too so you can get pictures on them but most film scanners, uh, flatbed scanners, or even dedicated film scanners, they come with these uh, inserts, these trays that you put the film into, which covers up the sprockets so you can't scan them. Um, so it's like you're losing the point of it. Um, and it, I think scanned sprockets look pretty damn cool as well, you know. Um, so how do you do it? Now, you can buy something called the di Digitalizer, D-I-G-I-T-A-L-I-Z-A from Lomography which is a like a magnetic uh, insert again that you would use with your flatbed scanner and it holds the f the, the film nice and straight uh, I guess it does it at either end so you can still see the sprocket so you can then scan it and show them um, however this is what I'm going to do next time if uh, when I put some 35 through a 120 is and a few people mentioned this on the web as well is you just lay your, your, your film down onto your, your flatbed scanner and then you put a piece of glass over the top of it so the glass holds the film flat and you might well have to tape the, the film down as well um, and sometimes they say oh you need to use special glass and stuff but, but I guess you could just use the glass out of a picture frame couldn't you give it a good clean so it's nice and clean and, and have a go that way now you'll probably end up with things called Newton's rings but if it's Lomo you want all of those little effects don't you so that's what I'm going to have a go at next time and um you know, if you fancy having a go at it and you've got some film where the sprockets have been exposed as well, have a go. Put it on your flatbed scanner and put a piece of glass on top to hold everything down and then scan it that way. Um, right, who have we got next? Matt Jones. And he says... Um, with reference to the Minolta Autometer 2 light meter... Can you set the shutter speed and get the meter to give you an aperture reading, or will it only give you a shutter speed reading? Well, Matt, the Minolta Autometer 2 is a very old light meter, and it's a dial type, and the way it works is you turn it on, you press the button, the dial spins, and then you just read off the combination. So it just has combinations of like 
f uh, f five point six, two hundred fiftieth of a second. You know, um, f eight, one one twenty fifth of a second. You, you can't. It doesn't work like that. The, the modern digital ones do. Lots. Well, lots of them do. Where you put in. You know, look, my aperture is f f eleven, and you take the light meter, and it says, well, there. You know, you need to be at uh, a quarter of a second. But but the, mo the autometer two doesn't work like that. It works the old-fashioned way in the fact that you have a spinning disc which then has all the uh, the combinations on that way. Ken Byer asks, um, he's watched the Minolta Dynex 500SI video and says, Hi Rob, thanks for the info. Where can a person find a user's manual for this camera? Well, if you've got an old camera, an old 35, and you want to find the uh, the manual for, for it, chances are you look on butkus.org butkus.org and he if you go down a little bit he's got the link to all these camera manuals he has hundreds if not thousands of old camera manuals that he's scanned in and they're all free to download and look at by all means leave him a, a, um, a donation to go towards the running of the site um, and that'll help however I couldn't find the Dynex 500 SI on that site so I just did a basic Google search and found a link to it so all I would say to you is um, just do a Google search for um, Dynax 500SI manual and about the second one down is, is at manualslib.com and uh, you go there and there's lots of ads all around the PDF but it comes up with a PDF on the screen and you can download it and you can flick through the manual that way. Okay so that's it for the questions just um, one last final thing and that's to talk about the assignment we've been doing recently which was the July, August and September one, the free lensing assignment where we were taking photographs with our cameras without actually having the lenses attached to them, having them the wrong way around or, or just detached. Some great work over on the Flickr photo group. It was probably wasn't the most popular um, assignment mainly because you had to have an SLR. I didn't really think about that when I said it. You had to have an SLR. If you didn't have an SLR it was very difficult. If you just use your camera phone we couldn't really do much and if you're using a compact or a bridge you know, you can't take the, the lens off. You could have put something in front of it, but you know, that probably wouldn't have worked very well. So my apologies for that one. I should have thought about that more. So as we go on to October and November, hey, let's take advantage of what's outside. Autumn or fall. Same thing, aren't they? That's going to be the assignment. Anything that comes into your head, anything you see you think that's to do with autumn or fall. Could be trees, could be leaves, could be weather, could be, I don't know, anything you want. Autumn or fall. Go over to the RobinandPhoto.com Flickr group. The link's on RobinandPhoto.com. Remember, it's free to join, free to participate. Stick your photos in the thread, which will be up over the next few days. Ideally, take new photographs, please. That whole point of these assignments is to get us out there shooting. Put them in and, uh, you know, enjoy. Now, I do know that it's spring in the Southern Hemisphere, Australia, South America, etc. So if you want to take spring shocks, fantastic. Post them in there too. Um, the more, the merrier. Right, well, that's it for this week. Um, just remains to say thank you for everybody for taking part in the Flickr group, for putting comments on RobinandPhoto.com, for doing the reviews on iTunes. Really appreciate that and giving us the five-star reviews. Fantastic. And on all the other places where you download your podcast, if you can give us a good review, that helps us to get more listeners, which means that I can maybe even get a sponsor back again one day um, thanks to Everyday Jones who do the intro and outro music you can find their stuff for free download at everydayjones.com but most of all I'd like to thank you once again for downloading and listening to the podcast my name's Rob from robnonphoto.com 
Thanks for listening.